Hey guys, at the YMCA Rebuild, we're in the business of reducing recidivism in Victoria, and in no way do we condone criminal activity discussed in these episodes. We support victims of crime and are committed to creating a safer community. I look through there and I look at, at the sky and I'm like, what am I doing in here? You know, and then from there it's just like, all right, you need to change your ways. And, you know, I didn't know I was doing five years at the time. I thought I was only going to do 18 months, two years or something and then get out. And, um, you know, then from there I just started just thinking, all right, I need to change. I need to, you know, start doing the right thing. And Welcome to A Time to Rebuild, the podcast that explores the impact of crime from incarceration to positive transformation and everything in between. So Mark, Mick, I am really excited today about who we're going to be speaking to. You look excited. Yep. Well, I always look like this, but I'm a little bit more excited today um, because the person we're going to speak today, um, Joe has been, um, I've known Joe since 2012 when I took over Rebuild and the Bridge Project. Um, this young gentleman um, was uh, just about to start off his career with Rebuild. So um, it's a long time ago. And he hasn't been here the whole time, which is why I'm excited. He's um, <clears throat> He's been in Rebuild and uh, and his life has uh, taken, taken some ups and downs. And um, he's gone away from Rebuild and then he's you know, his life has led him in different parts and now he's been back at Rebuild. It's an interesting insight where someone um, has been with the business since for that long, um, but has had two kind of stints. Yeah, yeah. And it's not uncommon. No. Um, but no, he's done really well. And I guess we should probably get him to start talking rather than just sitting here and listen, listening to us. Well, we did have him making stills for us <laughs> earlier. So, and he will be doing that afterwards as well. So we get our money worth it. That's why I'm excited by this guest because we get seven constructed, st- eight constructed stills at the end of it. So uh, welcome, Joe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good to see you. And thanks for coming on to the podcast. No worries. Pleasure to be here, actually. Finally get the chance to, um, to be able to speak up and tell a bit of my story. Why don't we take it back? Why don't we take it right back to uh, to get paint a picture of you know where your life was growing up and and uh, and how that was and and where it then took you. Um, my life growing up, so my mum was a single parent. I pretty much left school in year seven to actually start working in the Vic Market and um, and actually support the family because we weren't a rich family, so we didn't have a lot of money. So mum was struggling on the pension, trying to pay bills, trying to feed five kids. So me and my sister took on board and um, we had some family friends in the Vic Market. We started working down there to um, try and bring some money home and my working career started from there and it was just, um, yeah, just go to work, come home and nothing really has changed these days, has it? <laughs> you go to work, come home, except I've got a lot, of, um, a lot of mentality to go to the gym these days and that takes up a lot of my time. What about your schooling and stuff like that? How did you go in school when you were younger? Um, school, I... Didn't do very well, so once I left year seven, I was just pretty much working, so I never really got into uni or any stuff like that, yeah. until recently, while I was incarcerated, I actually finished my VCAL, which was which was pretty good. Congratulations, that, um, that's good. Gave me a little bit more skill into um, what I needed to know in day-to-day life. And Was it fair to say you had a kind of, you know, a 
kind of an out on a good upbringing. Like, like there was love in the house, and your mum looking at, or was it was it a was it a challenge at times? I wouldn't say it was a loving environment. Every mum does it back in the day. They smack their kids and stuff like that for being naughty. And we had a very rough upbringing. Did you have role models back then? Um, not really. So when I worked, like I worked around a lot of older people, so it was more or less like I grew up pretty much straight away. So there wasn't a real role model. It was just learning off other people. From the market, I guess you learned yeah, a lot pretty of life much. skills. Yeah, you le- I learned a lot of life skills from the market and it was just like... I grew up pretty much straight away, so there was no, there was no real teenage years of my life except for when I started playing up and getting on the drugs. That's when I felt like a teenager again. That's why I actually did it, you know. But then it was just like working in the market. It's just like you're around so many older people. It's you. You have to be older. You have to be more mature. You can't be a kid. Yeah. So there was no real kid life or no fun in my life. So. So what age was that from? You were at the market? Um, I was at the market from 13 maybe. I started just part-time working on weekends and then just from there it ended up going into a full-time job eventually. What were you doing at the markets? I was working the fruit and veg. I actually had a um, a lady call the police on me because I wasn't at school and um, they rocked up and started questioning me and told me that I had to go to school and stuff and I couldn't be working. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so it was like, I'm like, gee, like, you know, you can't be that hard, you know what I mean? But um, Because they dropped the apples. Yeah, so it's like I never actually had a phone call from the school to actually say, where were you? Like, they never rang my mum, never rang anyone just to say, like, where are you? Like, what happened? Where's the kids? Nothing. Yeah, yeah so it was the education system back then probably let let a lot of people down, I think, and... That's why there's a lot of people around my age that don't have a high skill of education, mm. just because everyone dropped out of school and no one ever said anything. No follow up. Nah, because we were in private school until grade uh, grade six, and then mum had to take us out because she couldn't afford it anymore. Mm. So it was like, all right, and dad never paid child support, so my dad was never in the picture. Mm. And um, yeah, so it was just like, just yeah. Did you ever meet your dad? Um, I last time I seen him was when I was two. Um, he, yeah, he just left the picture. Yeah, my sister's contacted him a few times. He doesn't want nothing to do with us. So it's just so like he reckons he's got no kids. Fair enough. If that's how he feels, that's how he feels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hopefully, like, um, I've got a partner now, which she's a good girl. It's very hard to find a girl like this that um, actually cares about you and actually shows the love. So it's nice. Yeah, it's very yeah. It's nice, and, and and I suppose yeah. For I always find it interesting. Like a lot of the people that we speak to haven't had a lot of love in their life. So I ask that question. Um, yeah. About your family, they don't. They don't really experience what that feeling is. Um, whether it's from a family member towards, and whether it's a, it's a partner, whatever it is, it it doesn't happen too often and then when it does happen it's really nice what it can do for that person when they when they accept it and they let it in you know what mm. i mean as well mm. where is it in your life where um things start to go down that that different path i got locked up twice obviously and um the first time was after i left the market i um i ended up getting involved in the wrong crowds and that's where the part that i never really had a childhood comes in like because i started partying and started having fun and it was stuff that i never done so i actually enjoyed it and it was like you know, we were actually having fun, then it ended up into crime, and then I ended up doing a burglary. And um, obviously, just because you on drugs and stuff like that, you needed money. So it was like, had to go do something. It's like, where am I going to get money? So we ended up doing a burglary, and um, 
We got done for that, so I did juvie. I um I got twelve months for it. But at the time there was no rehabilitation about it. So there was nothing on programs, there was nothing on how to work out what your beliefs are, what you know, what your emotions are and you know, all that other stuff that gets connected in, like different ways of talking. You can't you don't work out like you they didn't give you that opportunity to work that stuff out. So it was like, you know, you go to juvie and I did a few courses, I got me me tickets, I got a few tickets and um I was doing a hospitality course and stuff like that, but there's nothing on training your body to actually know yourself. So, you know, you got out, I got out, I was good for at least I'd say about twelve months or So you get your first opportunity, go you got like so you left juvie, yeah? Yeah. And then, then that's when we that's when Rebuild came into your life, yeah? Yeah, Rebuild came into my life. So Luke Moody, I think it was. That's was right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Luke Moody, manager, yeah. Um, the old case manager, um, he was a Bridge Project case manager. He got me the job with Rebuild at the start. And um, at the time, Rebuild wasn't massive. Rebuild was really small. We were doing like little painting jobs and, you know, little test and tag jobs. And then like all the all the um, the YMCA's were going, we are doing some painting on the walls or fixing a couple of doors and stuff like that. And... You know, there was, um, yeah, there was a lot of driving back then because um, you'd do one job, then you'll go to another, and then you'll go to another. You'd probably do about four jobs in one day. So, um, yeah, so then I started playing up while I was at Rebuild. I think it was about six months into it, I played up a little, and then um, I got pulled into the office, and um, we had a chat, stopped using drugs again, and I started getting back on track. I was on track. Um, at the time, Rebuild didn't have a lot of connections, so I was at Rebuild for about, I think it was at least 18 months or two years, and I had a job interview with, um, with a company that, that didn't, that didn't go through, and it was just like, it wasn't enough money, I was struggling to pay the rent, I was living in Doncaster at the time, rent was expensive, so I ended up moving back into Brick Lane. It was paying the bills, it was doing me good. I actually, the boss actually taught me how to lay bricks and he taught me everything I needed to know. Then he left, he um, he sold up, he went to Turkey. So I ended up going back to another bricklaying company, which led me to meet old associates, which were on drugs and on all that stuff. And it's just like, from there, it just, you know, like it was good for the first month or whatever. And then it just started like, oh, bro, can you take me home? And then from there on the way, he wanted to stop at his dealer's house and then, I take him there, and then like it ended up from one thing to another. I started using drugs again, and from there, that's where it led to you know like once you start, you like you have one on the weekend, and you're like, oh, we'll just stay on weekends. From one weekend to another weekend, then it starts on weekdays because you can't get up on the Monday. So you need something to get you going on the Monday, then you need something to get you going on the Tuesday. So it just ends up a seven day thing again. So it's um it's just a big circle so once you start it's just hard to get off because you just enjoy it so much and then you become a, just a, a crackhead really so you just and you were using yeah. ice yeah yeah, yeah that was ice. main yeah yeah main um source of drug at the time so i never really tried anything else so it was just like yeah at the time ice was massive and it was just like yeah it was the main drug everyone used um <clears throat> but then like obviously it led into a um <clears throat> A crime of life with some um, pretty heavy associates, which um, led me to do a big sting. So I ended up doing five years, um, five years, one month total, um, which were for various charges, which I won't get into. But um, they were pretty serious charges. From there, it just led into, you know, like I was in for at least six months and then I looked out the window 
And MRC just ha- recently had the rights in 2015, so I got locked up in December, and it was a very tough lockdown. Get one hour out, you get a phone call, go outside. There was only about 20 people at a time. It was um, it was really strict. And then, um, you know, you look out the window because you're locked in yourself for 23 hours a day. You look out the window, you see your... Um, on the windows, they've got some... Um, there's like a metal sheet, like just some... It's, it's like a barb, like, you know, not barbed wire, but it's like a just a enforcement so you can't break the window and get out i look through there and i look at at the sky and i'm like what am i doing in here you know and then from there it's just like all right you need to change your ways and you know i didn't know i was doing five years at the time i thought i was only going to do 18 months two years or something and get out and um you know then from there i just started just thinking all right i need to change i need to you know start doing the right thing and um, yeah, so a lot of people in jail, like, you know, just there's a lot of politics and stuff like that. So I just try to stay out of it, try to do my own thing. And um, just, yeah, it was um, it was a very interesting journey towards the end where I started doing the programs. And, um, and once I did do the programs, then I realised it's like, all right, gee, um, that's the main reason where love comes into it again. It's like you don't get loved as a kid, then you just you don't know what love is. And then like once you do these programs, you actually realise what actually affected you when you were a kid. So, you know, like it's like, you know, the neglect and stuff like that you get when you're a kid, it just affects you in your future. And that's why now when I found my missus and like, you know, we met, just like we clicked because like I'm a very affectionate person and so is she. So it's just like we love affection. We love to talk to each other. And, you know, I don't go a day without calling her in the morning when I'm on my way to work. She makes me call her. If I don't, she gets upset. So I have to call her and, you know, say good morning to her and stuff like that. It's just like, it's just that good connection that we've got, which is, you know, something that I've looked for all my life. And, you know, I finally found her. So it's um, it's something that will actually keep me on the straight and narrow. So. It sounds like that when, you know, when you're in prison, that time, like obviously you've gone through a fair bit in your life with drugs and, and everything else. You're in prison, you're facing, you know, five years that you've kind of, you know, switch has kind of flicked a little bit and you said, right, enough. You know what I mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about this and, and, and so forth. So so you end up then from, you know, being in remand and so forth and, you know, sentence and then you end up in, is it, do you go to Ravenhall? Yeah, I ended up in Ravenhall. Um and that's where I actually done the programs because a lot of jails, so when you go there, it's like they assess you, but then there's a wait list of like a year and a half to two years to do programs. It's it's massive. It's ridiculous. And if you don't do these programs, it's like you're not going to get parole. But the thing is like you, you go into a program, you're either going to learn or you're not going to learn. So it's either you're going to want to do it or you're not going to want to do it. So if you don't want to do it and you go in there not wanting to do it, you don't learn nothing. Which is, you know, it, it happens. It happens because they actually force it onto you. But you know, there was a cho- there was a choice that I made that I wanted to actually do the program. And then when I actually done it, I actually learned a few things. But they're a long program. They go for six months, and it's three days a week, and uh, I think it's three and a half hours each session. So there's a lot of hours, a lot of repetitiveness, and like you go through your crime, you go through your family go through what led up to your crime and all that stuff and it's it's very repetitive but you do learn and that's that's what actually makes you learn too like it's you know just that repetitiveness of the same thing over and over and over it just it puts it in your head you know like this is what happened 
So and you're saying you're an emotional, you're an emotional guy. Yeah. Um, love that. I'm an emotional guy as well. But, uh, you, you wouldn't believe it how emotional he is. <laughs> I'm starting to get worried about you too. Yeah? <laughs> well, I've already given him four hugs already this morning. Mate, so. <laughs> Only way to start the day. But uh, during those programs, would it get quite emotional in the groups? Um, it wouldn't get emotional because you can't, like in a jail environment, you can't bring out your emotions. So you can't let people know that you're weaker. You have to, you know, just stand your ground or whatever and just bring it out in the group. But what happens in a group stays in a group and it's meant to, but sometimes it doesn't. Like yeah. Sometimes it gets out, but um, you just keep it together in the group. But um, you do think about it afterwards and they do say, like, if you do need someone to talk to, we're here and stuff like that, because some of it does get quite intense. So it may not get emotional in the group, but when the I guess going after yeah. afterwards, back in your cells and stuff like that, would you say? Oh, you think or? about it, you, yeah. You go, you go over it in your head, and you think about it and stuff like that. It's just, yeah, it's not. It's not like you don't stop thinking about it. Like, yeah, it just it, it gets to you. Like when you lie down in your bed at night and you just you you're thinking to yourself. Like you don't stop thinking. It must be nice, though. It must be nice. Um, I know we joke about this a little bit, but it must be nice to be able to let down your guard and show your emotions. Now, like it, like already, you like obviously you say that with your, your your partner and so forth. But I always find that around prison and people in prison, you're right. People will will you know can't really show their emotion. It's just some place where you can't do it. You can have yeah. it, but you can't show it. So it must be there's a lot of pressure on that. If you know, if you think about your, if you're doing four years, five years. Whatever it is, like to bottle up your emotions publicly and all that, that's pretty hard sometimes, especially when you're dealing with stuff that is triggering emotions. Yeah. So it must be, is it in some way a kind of a, a nice in life now that you can let down your guard and show your emotions? Um, sometimes it is, but like I still don't show a lot of emotion. Like yeah. I still keep them in, but, um, you know, I actually deal with them these days. Like instead of just taking it out on other stuff and taking it out on drug use and stuff like that. It's ideal. You got to deal with your emotion. You got to work out where it's coming from and actually know your emotions. So it's a different kind of feeling instead, which, um, so once I was in jail, like it was like, I let myself go pretty much. I ended up to about, I'd say my heaviest was 122 kilos. Um, you can make smokes inside, which is, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a, it's like a smoke, but it's, it's a ridiculous smoke. Like if we told you, it's just like, it's made out of tea. So you're smoking like tea bags with English breakfast, Irish breakfast. Oh no, Lipton tea. Uh, Lipton tea? No, Lipton Lipton is, yeah, good old Lipton or green tea was good at the time. So green tea was good at the time for cigarettes. Um, but yeah, like you, <laughs> it's, it's, oh, it, when people think about it and it's like, yeah. And then, um, I won't go into full detail because people would just be like, what the fuck? But, um, <laughs> so going back to it, so I got to 122 kilos and then I just said, like, I think it was about 18 months before my earliest. And, um, I said to myself, no, nah, I need a diet. So I started dieting. I started eating health. I lost weight and I ended up about 88 kilos before I got out. From 120, 122, and um, now I'm sitting on about 92, 93 because the gym's open. I started putting on a bit of muscle mass, and it's just um, yeah. But you're in good nick, just, mate. Um, you know, I've seen, I've seen you from all. Like I've seen when you were rebuild. I always remember 
I always hey hey you phrase this. I'm gonna phrase this well. I'm, I'm, that's why I'm taking my time with this. And so I'm gonna get myself that's in trouble. Right. My heart won't be broken no, if you do no. say something. But I, no, I always. But you, the reason I say it was you used to be the most prepared. Like you used to have. Like most people would come to rebuild. They wouldn't have lunch or they wouldn't know that concept yeah. of eating lunch. You always. What struck me was you always had big lunches i've still got like, it i've yeah, got lunch yeah. downstairs in the car actually i'm probably going to bring it up and eat some later so um so like so um so if we if we step back then okay so you're in you're in raven hall you, you've you've done an amazing amount of work on you know your um fitness and your health yeah yep. you, you're um you're doing the courses um in there and um i remember um going through raven hall and um oh well firstly i remember someone saying in common to me, I think it would have been Damien or something going, get, um, I saw uh, Joe the other day. I was like, Joe? And he was like, yeah, in, um, he's in Ravenhall. I was like, oh, and, and you never like hearing that. You, you, sometimes you, it's a strange one for us. I like hearing it because I know you're in a kind of a place where you're okay and, you're, and, 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 and I haven't heard from you in a while, so you're alive and, and so forth. So that's the kind of relief side of it for us. Then there's other side of it going, oh, God, you know, what's happened? You know what I mean? Because, um, you know, you disappeared from Rebuild and we kind of knew it wasn't going well for you. Like, it was no secrets. We kind of knew what was kind of get, you were getting up to a little bit, but not in detail, nothing like that. But we just knew you were kind of, you know, taking a different path again. And then suddenly you're back in, 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 you're in Ravenhall. And then I remember going into a sport and wrecking in here. Hey, Nick. <laughs> and you, you were sitting at a table, you know, and just, you know, like. Well, I was uh, probably chatting to someone. I was chatting to everyone, mate. I don't think yeah. you're and chatting to people. But, no. uh, you know, and, and I was like, what's going on? But, but what struck me about it as well, and, and you might be able to enlighten me a bit on this as well. Um, a few of us that, that, that met you about that time, there was a little bit of, um, you're a little bit sheepish, even though you're like a very, you're a very forthright, you know, bubbly person who's not afraid to have a chat, which I've always loved about you, and you know, I always had long chats and had time for you to do that, you know. But um, but even though you were saying hello, there was a sense that you were kind of a little bit. You probably thought that we were a bit disappointing, or especially the rebuild, especially with Damien and rebuild. They felt that there was a little bit of you were yourself, but you were probably a little bit. Oh, you know, what are these guys thinking? I'm here, yeah. I'm back in prison. Is that, is that fair to say? Well, when I was in comp too, so I actually seen Damien. Oh, he actually knocked on the window. I was waiting for medication because I had a um, sciatic, sciatic pain. So, And I looked up and then I fucking looked down and I go, fuck. And then I just, I was embarrassed straight away. Like I knew, like, you know, it was just like, man, Damien actually mentored me. And I'm like, that's like, you know, it's to see him there. I'm like, no, but then... You know, in the end, like he actually come through and he um he brought me back through the program, which I really appreciate. And um, but yeah, like when I seen Mick, and um, I actually seen Gary as well. Same sort of reaction. It's just like, oh, I don't want to see these people here. Like I'd love to <coughs> see them outside in the real world, but yeah. um, it's just it, it's more or less just an embarrassment inside as well. Like you know, it's it's not about you know like yeah. So I was just you know you think straight away like. There's, you know, like my way of thinking is, oh, what's this person gonna think of me? Or, you know, like it's it's just a it's just a thought. A lot of thoughts go through your head, but um, you just think straight away, like, you know, does he think down of me that I'm back inside or stuff like that? But that's the good thing about rebuild and the bridge project and the YMCA. They actually don't judge. They um, they'll sit down, they'll talk to you, and they'll actually ask you, like, you know, what happened, what led to it, and stuff like that. Which now we're doing the podcast, which I'm actually, you know. Be, like I'm able to talk about 
you know, what I felt and um, and how rebuilding the bridge project will actually helped me come back and move on eventually. So now that I've been back for over 12, or I think it's just, yeah, it's a bit over 12 months now, um, I've proven myself to a point where Damien said, all right, now um, you've got a job interview on Monday. So um, it's time to transition. Yeah, so it's time to transition out of rebuild, which has been a um, it's been a good journey. So there's been a few different projects that we've actually done, and I've learned a few things off. Um, and Damien actually wanted me to stay a little longer than what I was meant to to um, actually get into this Moreland Road to Bell Street um, tree planting, which has got I think it's around one hundred and thirty thousand plants. Which is actually, um, it's still a construction site, so it's still a, um, the union is still on board and like there's a lot of construction going on, so it's a very good experience to um, actually be in there and um, learn a few things and talk to a few people and see how things work. You know, just going to morning toolboxes and, um, you know, just getting used to signing all the paperwork that needs to be signed, like little things like that actually help, like for the next time that I move in, because I'm going into construction as well, so it's just... It's, I'm, a, I'm on a learning curve. There is more to rebuild than just the delivery of commercial maintenance. We also have an online shop selling a variety of handcrafted wooden products made by me within our, our custodial and community workshops. We have fold-up desks, planer boxes, toys, chopping boards and chess boards and the one-of-a-kind raising boards, mate. Made by me, so get some of them. Each product represents a story, and by purchasing any of these quality products, you'll be directly helping rebuild, create employment opportunities, and in doing so, ensuring that as many stories as possible having a positive ending. Have a positive ending. Yeah. Mate, don't worry about this last bit. Just get the grazing boards. So please visit www.rebuild.org.au next time you want to buy with a purpose, or poipus. So it's fair, so... So you're transitioning now, which is part of the program. So part of what Rebuild is is that, you know, we, you know, hire people and, you know, support them, train them, support them. And then as we employ them, we uh, keep them for whatever time we feel is necessary in the, in, for them, really, as well. So if they need to be with us six months and they're ready to transition, no problem. One month, no problem. Sometimes it's two years. You've been a different case where you've been back and forth with us a couple of times. But you're at that point now where you're ready to kind of transition. I know Rebuild would love to, to keep you, but there's no probably benefit in that at this stage because you're ready to kind of take that next career um, pathway. So you um, have been working on the infrastructure projects. You've been doing an amazing job. Um, but just going back to the, just really quickly to the, when we met you in prison and so forth as well. I can tell you, we didn't see that in any way whatsoever. We actually, we always find it a bit difficult. We always understand what people see is after they've worked with us or they've known us for a while and then they haven't seen us for a while and then they, and they pop up in prison, which does happen from time to time. Um, as I say, it's more of a relief for us to know that you're, um, you're okay and you're alive and, and we're happy to see you. Not in that environment, obviously, but we then know that we can continue to, to try and work with you. And the door has always been open in this social. That's why the social enterprise exists, to keep the door open. And um, because all you needed was just another opportunity. You weren't the young person that we met in 2012. You know, you're different, even though, you know, you're the same, you know, you are the same person, but you're not the same person. You've learned, you've grown, you've, you've matured, and you've been through a lot of stuff in life that none of us have been through, and, and you've had to, you know, deal with a lot of stuff that we don't have to deal with. So where you're at now, 
you're going for an interview for a job. Um, what's what's the career pathway for you now? Um, so it's a job in just construction labouring at the moment. Um, I'm hoping like in future, like I can maybe go into like a leading hand role and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's mainly the career path for now. I haven't actually thought too much about the future, but, um, what's your attributes? What, what do you, how do you, how do you sell yourself in this interview? We do a bit of live, uh, interview <laughs> preparation. <laughs> uh, so, you know, how do I say, oh, well, my, um, my ability to work in a, a team environment and, um, just my hard work. I have a little, you know, a little chin wag or a little laugh, but I actually, you know, I put in my day's effort of work, my fair effort. Like I try my best. I don't, you know, like I won't say I'm I'm the best at everything I do. I don't think anyone is. Everyone learns new things every day, but um, it's all a learning curve. So it's all, you know, like if you can teach me something, teach me. I'm I'm happy to learn. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if you want me to go do some courses to get some more tickets and stuff like that, I'm happy to go do them. It's just give me the opportunity to actually prove myself and you know show you that I'm worth having on your team. That's it, isn't it? It that's but that's it. It's getting yeah. the opportunity, isn't it? Because it's pretty much, yeah. A lot of people in your position, um, who have, you know, you know, um criminal backgrounds, who've had, you know, things in their life that is not, you know, it's not great. Um, they just need an opportunity to show who they are today, yeah. not who they were yesterday. So and in a sense, isn't it? That's why I really appreciate what Rebuild has done for me, because they've actually given me the second opportunity to actually prove myself and I've come out on top and I've come out to say, listen, I'm not the same person. Well, I am the same person, but I don't have the mentality of what I did have years ago. I've actually grown up and I've matured and I'm ready to actually do the right things in life. And a way of me moving forward from that life in my past was I actually recently changed my surname. So it's just I don't want my kids or my partner to actually have the surname that I was actually charged with in crime and all that stuff. Like it's still on my birth certificate, but it's it's not me anymore. I've actually moved on from that life and I've moved forward. It's taken me a little while because of parole and stuff. I couldn't do it, but actually once I did do it, um, sometimes you wish you didn't because of all the work that you got to do just to get everything changed. Jesus yeah. Christ! I spent six hours yesterday just trying to email people, go to Vic Roads, banks, and. Oh, yeah. what a mission that was. And um, yeah, but it's a step forward in life. So that's all done. Um, you've got your new surname. Your life's going like going the opposite direction now as well. You have your interview. So, yeah. you know, good luck with that one as well. Um, how else? It. What are you going to say? I'm going to need it. <laughs> yeah, nah, you'll be fine. Nah, you, just be, you just be who you are. And that, yeah. That's all you can. And uh, so... Um, How's everything else outside in your life? Because I know at one stage when I spoke to you some some time back, you know, you were talking about your your, your mother and and you know potentially you know being a bit of a carer there as well. So how's that all been going? Um, that's been going good. So I'm so I'm pretty much her next to king at the moment. So mum's in a wheelchair. She can't walk a lot. She's lost her right hand side movement of her arm and leg. The good thing is that you're in a position to help. Yeah. 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 And that means that you're, you know, in a good mind and body and everything else like that. Because there have been a lot of times where you couldn't make clear decisions or you couldn't make, um, you couldn't be there because you were in another place. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, well, when, so you're, when you're drug affected, you're, the way you talk to people and the way you actually interact is a lot different so you can't actually look someone in the eyes and actually talk to someone because 
your 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 head's just at a hundred miles an hour. You can't speak to someone, and you just it, you know like you know you can't go in front of your mum when you're drug affected. I have, and she's looked at me and she just shook her head and she goes, "No good." And that's why I stayed away from her. Like I wouldn't go see her and stuff like that. And you know, it's just now it's like you know, all right, I need to make that effort to go and you know help her out as much yeah, as I can. Yeah. You know, that way she doesn't feel left out and stuff. But. You know what mums are like. (laughs) (laughs) I won't go too much into it. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so it's just, you know, it's all all up and down. It's like a roller coaster with her because, you know, like I understand where she's coming from. Like she must feel like she's in jail over there as well. Like because, you know, she can only do certain things. She can't cook her own food unless she's got a carer with her. And it's like, dude, like let her be. You know, you're making her feel like she's in jail here. And it's like, you know, her room was like literally a cell. It's like she didn't even have a proper fridge in there or, you know, a proper desk. And, you know, I understand she doesn't want a TV because she'd rather listen to the Quran and stuff like that and, you know, be more humble. But, um, yeah, it's like, all right, um, you know, like just try and make her feel homey, you know, like feel like she's in home and stuff. So, yeah. What am... What do you do with your life now outside of work? What's What keeps you busy oh, in a good way? Jeez, what keeps me busy? Obviously, you're obviously yeah. at the gym a bit and you're yeah, doing your fitness. That's, that's probably um, your main thing. That's pretty much the main thing. Like, I'll, I'll go to work all day and then, like, because when I work, like, I try my best to put in 100%. So I work pretty hard. By the time I've done that, like, I'll have a little bite to eat and then I'll just lay down on the couch or whatever for about an hour, have a siesta, have a little nap. Get a nap, huh? little nap. Little, yeah, little, nap, the, nap huh? I'm telling you the best thing ever. Have a nap. <laughs> yeah. Get up after an hour, you're like a new person again. And That's I'm right. back in the gym. I'm you like, have a nap as well, do you, mate? I'm like, well, I got a two-year-old, so I don't sleep at all. So, uh, <laughs> no, you, you, you're saying that. That's why you come into the office. Why you always, I always wonder why there's a bed in your office. Just straight under the desk. <laughs> straight under the desk. That's why I actually, you know, like, I, you know, hold off on having kids for a little while just in case, like, I, I right, miss uh, out on this. Yes, get it but over and done with. Just, you just, you just <laughs> yeah. end up, the thing with kids is but, you, you're just tired for the rest of your life. You're just yeah. different levels nah, of tiredness. I'll, I'll, I'll find a way to have a nap. And, like, you know, I've seen some photos of some blokes that have got their kids on their on their um, on their chest and they've gone for a nap. So. Oh, you will have that, yeah, You'll yeah, have yeah. Like so that. I think I think that's going to be my main source, you know, babe. I'm just <laughs> looking after the kids, you know. So I'll just go. <laughs> go <have a> nap. <laughs> so it sounds like you know in your life, you know, you you you're just looking ahead. You're looking at you know building that career, and you know you got you know as you say you got a, a really uh, supporting, loving partner, and and that's where you want to take your life um, into that next stage as well. Um, what would you say, you know, because you've been through a lot, right? You've been through, you've seen the highs and the lows. You've been in rebuild. You've been out of rebuild. You've been in jail. You've been out of jail. You've been in jail and you've been out of jail. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> what would you say to you to anyone listening, you know, whether it's, you know, parents of a, of a of their kid who's probably going through the same or someone that maybe is in the community now, but, you know, is listening to this and, and not traveling too well and kind of similar to where you were as well. What kind of advice would you have, if you have any, to, to, to people that are in that situation? Well, I'll tell you now, look, there's, if you're a parent and your son's going through it, either you can do two things, just step back and, and let it happen or try and actually, you know, give him love or, you know, give him attention. But um, sometimes that might not even work because of the fact that when we're on drugs, we don't, like, we don't care about what people say or what people do. So... It's just like, all right, just 
whatever, man. Like, you know, just, I don't really care anyway, you know. So it's either, like, mainly you're just probably going to have to step back and just let him find his own two feet or um, or just try and, you know, help out as much as you can. But um, don't, like, I'll just say this, don't get in his way if he's trying to, you know, just go go out and have fun and whatever. Just let him be because we'll just start an argument that you don't want. Um, but for a person in my shoes that, you know, like, is going through this and wants to change, I suggest go get help, man. Just talk to someone, anyone. Like, it doesn't have to be family and stuff like that. Just go to a professional, man. Like, at the end of the day... When you talk to them, it doesn't leave that room. It'll stay in that room. You can talk as much as you want. They'll, they'll listen. They'll give you some advice. But at, still to this day, I still have peer supporters and I have um, the uh, Bridge Centre, which you know is a, um, is a link out of Ravenhall. I still have um, them calling me and asking me how you're doing and stuff like that, and I'll talk to them. I'll tell them my story, like where I'm at in life and... And uh, there's times where they said, listen, do you need help, you know, trying to find accommodation or do you need help with your um, with your application forms and stuff like that? And I'm like, um, I think I've got it, but if I do need help, I will ask. But it's always good to have a chat to someone and, you know, like just talk, like, mm. you know, don't be shy. I'm glad you brought up the Bridge Centre. That's a, It's a really good service. I think that are they, am I correct in saying they're the only ones in... I think it's but the only but one in Victoria. Only think, one in Victoria. Yeah. In Richmond. Yeah, um, and they're based. GEO? It's yeah. an extension of GEO in it's the community. It's an extension, yeah. So, yeah, so basically, if you're, if you're, you know, leaving, if you're, um, if you've left prison and you're, you know, you're in the community again, you're going to have a lot of layers, you know, you're going to have like accommodation, you're going to have, you know, drug and alcohol, you're going to have employment, you're going to have everything, you're going to have medical um, as well. So I suppose the idea that and why, why it's worked so well is that, you know, you could have multiple um, appointments in multiple different areas. Um, and have to go to them within a day or even a couple of days. But if you go to the, what the Bridge Centre does is, you know, you can see everyone in the one spot in one day. So it kind of, it's, it's really there to really make it less difficult uh, and not set people up to fail in a sense because we even know when young people come in and they're employed with Rebuild, um, they will have multiple um, appointments that they have to be, whether it's pro, whether it's not. And then there's all the other side of the medical stuff. And, that. and then some of them appointments actually, unfortunately, get pushed aside because they feel that they need to be in their job or they need to be in one place or, not, or they can't make it to another place because they have no card or accommodation. they got no money for tickets for public transport. So that's what it's really about. It's being able to bring people into that one space um, and have multiple service providers there going to them rather than them going to four different multiple service providers now, which makes perfect sense as well. And I think it's the best way. It's a great approach to it. Yeah, they actually help me out a lot. So they, you know, like every every fortnight I'd have a phone call with them and, you know, have a chat. Um, like I won't say parole's easy. Parole's not easy, but um, three urines a week, which was for three months. Normally it's two urines for the first six weeks and then it goes down to one. But my parole worker was a bit on the stricter side, which she made me do three a week for three months, which was very hard. And considering I was working, I was doing all the right things, um, she didn't reveal for the first three months and then um, I moved to Melton and then once I moved to Melton, um, my worker in Melton, I won't say who it was, but um, I got to Melton, she rang me up and then um, when we met, she's like, oh, 
Um, I go, you know, like, what's the go with my urines? Am I still doing three a week? She laughed and she goes, oh, well, I was just um, having a laugh with all the staff in here. She goes, I can't believe how many urines she made you do in the in the, in the the um, three months. She goes, something on the lines of 33 urines in three months. I'm like, Jesus, I go, and they were all clean, weren't they? She goes, yeah. And I go, well. And she goes, nah. She goes, straight away, she put me down to one. She goes, just go once a week for now. Just go every Monday. And then after that, it just become random. It was like once every three weeks and stuff. And it just helped out so much with work. Like, because, you know, I was leaving work early just to go to urines. And I was, you know, like, I was on public transport. So, um, you know, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't easy. After three months, I ended up getting my license. And that was a mission itself. It ended up, um, I tell you what, whoever's listening, just stay off the drugs. Because once you get caught drug driving, drink driving, there's programs these days. It just it ends up costing you a lot more money than what it's worth just to get your license back. So it ended up costing me around the two thousand dollar mark just to get my license back, and that was to do two programs, pay for court fees, and then pay for Vic Roads just to get a license renewal as well. So it's not worth it at the end of the day. And then you got to pay your fines and stuff like that. And you know, I was lucky in my case. I had something on the lines of twenty six thousand dollars of fines. I got called in, and I um, served time for him, so run him concurrent on my sentence. Um, you know, but it's just all stuff that you do when you're on or when you're under the influence of drugs. It affects you in your future, like depending on what you want to do, where you want to go. Like, just even trying to get a job is hard, just because of the fact that you've got a criminal record. And that's why Rebuild, when they actually come in and take you on and give you this opportunity, they they have those connections with people to actually say, listen, he's proven himself, he's ready to move, you know, we've have you got a have you got a spot for him? You know, and I know Damien myself and I know he won't put his hand up for someone that isn't doing the right thing and he doesn't think is ready. So, you know, it takes a lot of hard work to prove yourself but once you've proven yourself then you know you can move forward in life you're doing that you're doing that mate yeah, you, yeah. You, you've done it you know and as i say and um, that's what i was so really looking forward to speaking to you as well because i know your story is a little bit different to other people and and uh i've known you for a long time and you know i've always always enjoyed speaking with you we've always had a good laugh as well like that but i've always you know um known that it's always not been easy for you you know as well and and you know, you you know, you go out of our life for a few years and then you pop back up again and now you're ready to take the next step in your life. So, you know, I know you've got a bit still you're still you're still working on yourself, you're still doing that as well. And um so do you ever like do you get triggers still? Like is there things in your life like now or are you just really in a really strong mindset? Because this is another side of it. People think some people think, well, it's, you know, I'm battling this for life. Some I've heard go, no, you know what? I feel like I'm really, really, you know, all past that as well. Where are you at in that kind of scale? I actually, I did get into a tough situation where when I was on parole, I had a few driving charges pop up from 2015. When I got out, I tried to get my license back. And to get my license back, I had to go to the police station and have an interview. And they ask you questions on like, what are you doing to help yourself and stuff like that. Just general questions. Um, when he called me up, the, um, the sergeant called me up and he's like, oh, you've got to come in to have an interview with us, right? And I'm like, yeah. And I made a joke with him. I'm like, oh, you know, it's not every day you get a call off an officer, you know, unless you're doing the wrong thing. 
And he's like, oh, on that note, he goes, um, you've got some outstanding warrants. I go, what do you mean? And he goes, you've got, like, there's three charges that, you know, just, it was like for an unroadworthy motor vehicle driving unlicensed. It was like, they were real little charges. Because of that struggle of how hard it was to get out, I don't ever want to be back in there. And that's what keeps me motivated to stay out. Um, but, yeah, it was just like, it was like the biggest scare of my life. And, like, you know, it was a really tough situation. But... You know, like a lot of the times back in the day, if I got into a situation like that, it would have led back to drug use and stuff like that. But, you know, I actually took the opposite side and I went, you know what, listen, I'll actually call someone and talk to someone about it because, you know, it's, it's a different world now. You know, you don't want to be inside. It's not any little thing now. You're getting 12 months for it. Like it's just something little. It's, you know, but it goes on your record. It goes in your name and you look like a bad person at the end of the day. You know, no one likes a criminal. You know, like it's, you know, who who wants a criminal around? You know, none of my neighbours know my past. You know, if they knew it, they'd probably look at me different. You know, because I live in like a small unit block. And, you know, no one wants to know that I burgled houses or stuff like that. You know, well, who wants, who wants someone like that around? So it's like, you know, you need to change your life. And I made those changes and, you know, it's just, yeah. But, um, you know, inside I stopped smoking as well and um, cigarettes were a massive thing in my life. And so not smoking oranges nah, anymore? Nah, nah, nah. So no more oranges, no more um, tobacco, yeah. Well, it's actually, I'm actually really happy I actually stopped smoking because I, I look at the boys paying like $60, $70 for a pack and it's like, it's incredible, man, isn't it? it's so expensive these mm. days. Like, you know, you wouldn't be able to pay bills and stuff yeah. like that, like. You know, that's, very expensive. That's literally it? a T-shirt for me back. It's like, man, mm. like you know, I can go get myself like you know something nice from <laughs> Under Armour or something, you know, like for gym and stuff. It's like, why waste it on a packet of smokes? With yeah. that, with that, uh, with those charges. So from that interview with the police, how long did it take to get sorted? Well, I think about three months because when the court date was actually due for those charges, I was actually due to get my ankle monitoring bracelet taken off. And that got pushed back a week because my court got pushed back. So I think it was about three months it took to actually get sorted. But um, when I actually went for my license back, I actually had a few references. So there was an old case manager here and she actually wrote me up a very good reference from Rebuilding YMCA. And I had my CCS work and my new one write me up a reference. And I had a few, I had a few references in, you know, from like, drug and alcohol and my clinician from the bridge center and stuff like that to you know and i took him to court and when i stood up in the box and the judge is like okay so tell me a little bit about yourself tell me like you know and i said listen i've just come out recently i need my license for work and like i've done these programs i've done this and i've done that and he's he goes listen he goes i'm actually he goes you know i actually i actually enjoy seeing people like you actually come into my courtroom and um and when he was saying that, it's like, oh, you know, like they actually do, they're actually not bad, you know, but when they actually judge us for the crime that we do, they come down on us for a reason, you know, and it's like, you look at them and you're like, you know, when you're doing the right thing, they actually look at you differently. And then when I went to go get my, like when I went for the charges, the judge, like we're on like a video and um, she she looked at me and she goes, she goes to me, she goes, listen, she goes, I've actually, you know, I'm actually not going to take your license off you and bring you down. She goes, I actually like where you've actually come now. She goes, you know, it's not that often that I actually get people like you in my courtroom. 
with you know like the um the background that you're actually doing you're working you're doing all the right things you've got your license you've had your license for three months the judge gave it back to you you're driving you're doing the right thing she goes listen i'm not going to take it off you um she goes i'm just going to give you like a um what was it like a good behavior bond for six months with no conviction no fine and she goes you know keep up the good work you know you know keep keep going at what you're doing you know, you're doing all the right things and stuff like that. And then when you hear things like that, you're like, wow, like, you know, mm. like that's people right. are different in the world, you know, like yeah. it's, yeah, that's right. you yeah. know, they, they only judge you when you do the wrong thing. And it's like, all right, you know, like then you understand, you're like, all right, fair enough. It, it's a really good point you bring up. And, um, you know, when you go for your interview, I think you should be uh, telling them how persistent you are. Because a lot of people in your situation, a lot of guys that we work with, they sometimes just go, uh, I got a criminal record. Can't get a working with children's. Can't get my license back for this. You know that, and they kind of give up, and that's where they hit the roadblocks. Yeah. But I mean, what we've heard today, and what we've seen over the last few years, is you know you go that extra step. You know you apply for that exemption, or you apply for that. Uh, if you get knocked back, then you get a, get you get it appealed, and that's I think that's what you need to do in these situations. You don't take the first answer as the only answer <laughs> or you know like you tell me that i like nah it's not gonna happen i'll try and make it happen you know like i'll try and find ways like it just it, it just makes me you know like with even with mum like they said she can't have the sda accommodation but i've said nah i want to i want to appeal that decision i'm not happy with that decision so it's just like you know if if i know there's a there's a right in it like i'll actually go that extra step to try and make it happen. You wore an ankle uh, bracelet? Yeah. Yeah, just a curfew one, though. Just a curfew one. Tommy yep. Trudor, what's that like wearing that one? Um, so very, what, what times of the day did you have to just wear it all the time? Like were you wearing, um, It was on, yeah, 24-7. 24-7. So you were rocking around with the ankle bracelet on, yeah? Yep. Everywhere you went, yeah? Yeah. Talk us through a little bit of that. Um, well, I actually never, like, let it out, so I'd wear pants the whole time. So I was lucky I got out when it was colder. And it wasn't hot, but um, it just come off before summer, so I was actually pretty happy. But um, like it's very embarrassing having it on, because you know it's it's not it's not something that you want to be proud of, you know, being in jail. Like I hated it. I hated it on there. It was it was bulky. It was you know like yeah, you'd have to sleep with it on. You'd have to put the charger on there, sleep with the charger on, and it's like. You know, my old worker, she goes to me, um, you have to leave it on charge all night. And then there was times where it started playing up and you get phone calls in the middle of the night. Oh, get up and move around in the house. We can't get the signal. You know, we don't know where you are. It's like, man, I'm at home, man. He goes, oh, you need to get up and move. So I got up, moved around. He's like, oh, I found you. Go back to sleep. It's like, are you doing this on purpose? And it happened three days in a row. I'm like, dude, what's going on here? And then they finally go, oh, no, there's a problem with your bracelet. So then I had to go back into the office and say, like, you know, get it changed. And then, like, after that, I didn't have a problem. But it's like, man. So like, you'd have it on um, and it was just a, you mainly had it for a you just to make you had yeah. to, you were like, you had to be home. What, what were your hours? Um, so originally it was 10 to 6, yeah. 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. But yeah. then Damien got the curfew in the morning changed to 5 a.m. so I can leave for work. Yeah. Um, because I had to get transport and stuff like that. So it was just, you know. But, um, yeah, so it was, yeah, 10 to 5, and I, I had to be home between 10 and 5. But who, who's, like, you know, if you're doing the right thing and you're doing you're home at 10 o'clock going to sleep anyway. So 
you know, it didn't really make a difference. It was just something that was on my ankle. Yeah, yeah. And they got different ones, don't they? Um, yeah, there's an alcohol one as well, which is um, which is another bracelet, which is a lot bigger, um, which, you know, like a lot of people, if they have alcohol issues as well, they get both. Um, but whereas in my case, I didn't have alcohol issues because I've never been a drinker, so I only had the curfew one. Um, but like, you know, I'd, I'd go to the park to train and stuff like that. And it's just like, man, I don't really want this thing on my leg. You know, like it just, and then once it come off, it was like a big relief. I felt like a different person. I felt, you know, a little bit more free, you know, like I wasn't in a hurry to get home. If I was at like the gym or whatever at nine o'clock, I didn't have to rush home or, you know, my battery's dying or, you know, you got 20% battery left. They send you a message. You're like, you got to be home. You got to charge it. It's like, oh man. Yeah. You know, like, and, you know, it was just, it was a relief when it come off. It's an interesting one, because I, I asked you, because not many people would know, like, the ins and outs of what it is wearing one of them. Yeah. And, and the things that you face, mm. which is what you say, getting woke up in the middle of the night and yeah. told to move around. And <laughs> so, yeah, so they can track where you are. Yeah. Um, look, it's been, it's been great talking to you. Um, I'll finish with a question just to, um, that I ask everyone. Um, so when you were younger, what did you want to be? Um, I never really had any thoughts of what I wanted to be. It was just like, just keep going with life. And because I was in the markets and being a fruiter, so, you know, it's just like, I didn't mind the construction industry. So that's why I want to get into it. And, you know, like it's always been, you know, just building and stuff like that. So I don't mind it. Like, you know, that's what I've been a brickie. Like I've been, I've been a like, you know, on the tools and stuff like that all my life pretty much. So it's like, you know, tradesmen work and stuff like that. So I think that might have a little bit of, you know, what I want it to be, but it's just never been a locked in what I want to do. You know, like I've mm. never really been like, oh, I'm going to go to university and do this. Never taught that now? Nah, nah. Yeah. Well, you're doing what you, you're, you're, you're close to and what you feel you're doing. So maybe yeah. maybe that's just around the corner for you. So Yeah, yeah. Um, if I can move up in the ranks a little bit, I will. Um, you know, like I've got the potential there to do it. So... You yeah, know, definitely. I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't mind. So you know, if if they're happy to actually support me to move up and you know do the right thing, so I'll yeah, I'll get there. Well, look, thanks so much for talking to us today, Joe. It's uh, it's been a pleasure um, chatting to you. Thanks for all your insights and, and and for sharing your story with us and and the listeners as well. And uh, as I say, I've known you a long time, um, and it's uh, it's it's great to see where you are today as a person um, and you know what you what you getting out of life but it's also what you're doing to get out of life as well like so you, you know you're you're working hard you're doing everything right by yourself you're doing everything right by the people around you and by the businesses that you work for so you know I, I, I believe any business that you know that you go for an interview and hopefully they, they see the potential that we've seen in you um, and they give you that opportunity to, to write the next chapter in your life yeah so good luck with everything mate and thanks again for uh, for today uh, thanks for having me guys um, it's been my pleasure being here and um, having a little chat and talking about you know a little bit about myself and you know glad you guys got to know me a little bit more and that's it you know hopefully um, yeah hopefully uh, there'll be a good future for me and um, yeah so no looking back and move forward no doubt and it starts by uh, doing the rest of them seven skills <laughs> <out there. laughs> that might that might that might just see me through that to might break lunch. it <laughs> yeah I might, I might you know it might see me through to lunchtime so we'll see how we go <laughs> cheers right. mate see thanks a lot bye, bye. Next week on A Time to Rebuild.
To be honest, how many times have you seen a, an athlete um, talk about the same thing? You know, whether it's an Olympic athlete who's just retired, whether it's an AFL footballer, you know, a rower, a netballer, talk about structure. You know, I was lost. I, I you know, I, I spiralled out of control, you know, mental health issues or, or drinking or whatever it was. And a lot of times it comes back to that moment where they hadn't planned coming out of the system and the system just stopped and then they had, they had nothing to go to. So, the, you know, there's a lot of similarities between, you know, the sport and the structured environment and then the transition out of that into the, into the real world or whatever, whatever you want to call it. If anything in today's episode has raised any issues for you or someone you know, head over to our website for a full list of services that may help at ymcarebuild.org.au under the podcast tab. A way of helping us is to subscribe, share with friends and leave a review. If you want to take that next step, hit up our online store where you can purchase handcrafted wooden products. If you're sitting there going, I want to do everything I can, get a quote for facility maintenance needs at your business. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, www.ymcarebuild.org.au. This podcast was produced by Mick Cronin and Mark Wilson. Editing done by Mark Wilson.